There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! 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 Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at Bet Online. Now, baseball is over with. College football is in full swing. The NFL is in full swing now at this point. So there's still some things to make some money on. You still got some boxing. You still got some MMA. You still got some soccer, if that's your bag. You still have some things to make your sports experience even more enjoyable. Go to Bet Online and find a way to make money on pretty much any bet. If you're a smarter guy than your friends, if you want to show off that you're smart and that you can do this for a living, go to Bet Online. You can find all sorts of lines, prop bets, uh, in-game live betting, uh, overs, unders, point totals, whatever you're looking for, whatever type of gambler you are, whether you're a professional, whether you're an amateur, whether you just want to place a little money to make a big game seem even bigger, Bet Online has you covered. Just go to Bet Online, use our promo code ARMCHAIR. And you'll get a really special surprise. I'm not going to tell you what that is. You got to go. You got to use the promo code and see what it is. Go to Bet Online today and up your game. All right. So, uh, as a lot of you can uh, kind of figure out, it's been a little while since we've done an episode uh, brought to you by Armchair Media with my partner, Doc. Doc, it feels like it has been forever. It really does. It's. Uh, I, I did the math yesterday. It's been 23 days since there was a Braves game now. And it just. For as long as we waited in this offseason to get any baseball at all, it, the season was over in the blink of an eye, and now we're just kind of back sitting here waiting for springtime, waiting for, you know, mid-February for pitchers and catchers to report. But, you know, there, there's still a couple things that are going on around the league there that, that have kept us occupied. Yeah, there certainly are. Uh, not just some of the free agent movement, which we've had a little bit already. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, the punishments for the Astros cheating scandal – uh, now that it's over for A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora. They did not have long to wait before they were rehired. A.J. Hinch, the new manager in Detroit. Alex Cora rehired in Boston. That one is a little bit of an interesting story. 
Uh, we'll talk about that first. But A.J. Hinch, I thought it was a great signing by Detroit. Um, you can I don't know if you want to say that it was too light of a penalty, that he basically only missed 60 games. Um, and I, I can certainly agree with that argument, especially when you look at how punishments have been meted out to the Braves. Uh, I think that's I think that's really the bigger issue. They went overboard with the Braves, and it seems like any other punishment is is light by design. Uh, you've got Jeff Lunau suing for breach of contract. Uh, he's trying to allege that uh, Crane and Manfred uh, made up a little backroom deal to keep the World Series championship in exchange for Lunau getting all the blame. Um, a lot of people would call that a conspiracy. Just knowing what I know about the John Copelello situation, though, that wouldn't shock me at all. You know, it's it is easy for us to to look at what happened with the Red Sox with the uh, with their scandal with the Apple Watch and then obviously all of this stuff with the Astros. It's easy for us to look at that through the Braves' lens. And you're right; they absolutely overdid it uh, with the Braves. I think there was some merit to to Capolello's punishment and the fact that he lied as much as he did probably figured into the decision, maybe even more so than the violations, but. Uh, it is strange to look at this and say, yeah, you're going to be suspended for a year and, and still only have to serve X amount of time. And in Hinch's case, he's got a fresh start. He's going to Detroit. They have a very bright future. Their farm system is looking great. With Cora, he's just back in the same spot that he was. He's returning to Boston to, you know, that's that's a little strange to me. The fact that they just welcomed him back with open arms. And I can't speak for Red Sox fans. I don't know if everybody's opening him back or welcoming <clears throat> excuse me welcoming him back with open arms. It's it's just an odd look. And the next question is, when is Carlos Beltran going to return to the fold? Because he got fired from the Mets without ever managing a game. So he, he'll resurface somewhere. And we haven't heard the, the last of this, this scandal. And the, the Luno thing blows my mind. It really does just blow my mind. See, it doesn't blow mine because we know what happened with John Hart and... and- John Copelello. The reason why John Hart didn't go down with Copelello was because he basically turned and ratted on Copelella and uh, basically said, all right, I will leave voluntarily uh, and found himself a little out without getting blasted a little bit. I kind of, I, I can buy that part of it. Now, Lunau is also a tremendous douche uh, and I don't feel sorry for somebody who had the comments he had uh, with the Roberto Ozuna scandal. So I don't really feel so bad for Lunau, but it is honestly like it's not a far stretch to say that Crane made a backroom deal with Manfred, who really just wanted it to go away. Uh, Manfred really was just in damage control and didn't want to taint the piece of metal, apparently. But when you talk about the the Copalello thing, I do think that they went overboard on that because I don't think that lying about the violation is worse than a serious violation. So you can say Copalella. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend and be like, oh, what he did was fine. But I mean. There, there are deeper things than than the paying of the young players or the paying of the prospects to get them uh, paying more than you were supposed to. It goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, if you want to know, you can dig into it a little bit. Um, there, there are some very shady practices. It's really more just a mark of how shady it is whenever you get into the Latin market anyway. But if you're saying that the lying is what got him the lifetime ban, you're basically saying that lying about about overpaying kids was worse than affecting the integrity of actual major league games, which to me that that seems a little backwards. Uh, and I do think that that's kind of why they didn't come down as hard on the Astros as they did the Braves, because I think everybody's kind of like, whoa, that that's a, a little steep there. Um, it does suck if you're a Braves fan, because you're like, well, we just got this super heavy punishment, and it's hurt us in the international market for the last three years. It's going to hurt us a little bit less this year, and we'll be out of it next year, but still... 
if you're going to mete out a punishment for something that didn't affect a major league game, you'd expect the punishment for affecting a, an actual major league game to be heavier, not lighter. Um, the Alex Cora thing is interesting to me for a totally different reason. Uh, High and Bloom was huge on Sam Fold. Sam Fold obviously played in the Rays organization where Bloom spent all of his time. Um, Sam Fold is a defensive wizard, uh, which is something that Jackie Bradley Jr. really enjoys is, is learning defense. Um, and Sam Fold is a, a big-time friend and, and purveyor with, uh, with High and Bloom, and everybody knows High and Bloom wanted to hire Sam Fold. Uh, Alex Cora was the darling of the Red Sox front office or the the ownership because he brought them. He was the manager for their latest World Series. So it's a little strange to me that you're going to hire Bloom to fix your team and then you're going to take away his choice of manager because you want it to be Alex Cora. That kind of disconnect is not a a, a pretty thing. Uh, That kind of disconnect does not normally lead to, to good things. In an organization, usually you need your owner to kind of step back. You don't like heavy-handed owners. Your owner really should just be kind of there to to reinforce what the GM wants to do and reinforce the, the GM's vision, not kind of override him on his choice. You can't tell somebody, hey, I want you to fix this, but I want you to fix it in the way that I'm going to tell you to fix it. At that point, why did you hire me to fix it if you just want me to do what you want to do? Uh, so very interesting on there. It's not that Core is a bad manager. It's just I, I think... Anytime you have a new GM and he's bringing in a new culture, he wants his guy. And I'm just not certain that Alex Cora is actually high on Bloom's guy. I don't know what Cora could have said to Bloom that would have changed his opinion or would have made him agree with Cora more than Sam Fold. But uh, I don't have a hotline to high on Bloom, so I am not entirely certain on that. Just an interesting thing. And for the Red Sox, just a little bit more of them being a little bit more dysfunctional. I mean... You make a really good point about Bloom. Like, why are you going to bring him in if you're going to kind of start to undermine him immediately? He's obviously in a very advanced baseball mind. And if the whole idea is to kind of rebuild the organization from the ground up, then this is two steps forward, two steps back. And owners carry a lot. They carry a lot of weight with what what they can say and do. And and Heim Bloom, we look at him and he's kind of the figurehead for the for the front of that Boston front office but there he has bosses as well that he has to that he has to respond to and it's not wholly dissimilar to what's going on in Chicago right now with you know you look at this White Sox team and oh man the future is so bright and if they just plug in the right manager maybe like an Alex Cora or maybe like an AJ Hinch maybe a, guy. maybe a Joe Espada or maybe I don't yeah. know just hang on to Rick Renneria yeah who you know we they uh, they are going to announce the American League manager of the year tonight and it's entirely possible that Renteria wins it and he will be doing so without a job but Tony LaRussa comes in and he's just the absolute worst fit and everybody's going what are you doing I mean for a team that had a has such such a bright future like the White Sox you couldn't possibly have a worse fit now granted this is a much less congruent fit I mean at least at least in Boston you know Cora Cora was a manager as of two years ago. He was the manager of a World Series team. LaRusa hasn't managed in over a decade and already alienating members of his team and members that or uh, players that aren't even on his team because Marcus Stroman came out today and said, Yeah, I'm not signing with Chicago if Tony LaRusa is gonna be there. It's just a it's a disaster. And these are moves that not orchestrated by the GM. This is the uh, the puppet masters that are that are doing this in both of these organizations. Weird that they're both socks, just different colors. And if you're the White Sox, like 
it's a little bit weird too. Like if you're a White Sox ownership, like what are you doing undermining a manager period or a GM period? Like you haven't been good for basically a decade and a half. Like you finally you have a team, a young team that specifically feeds off of emotion, and you hired a dinosaur that's going to go out there and tell his own guys to tone it down and, and basically do what Jace Tingler did uh, to uh, to Tatis and kind of hold them accountable for for celebrating and getting excited. But that's what that White Sox team feeds off of. They're a young team. That's their calling card is their emotion. And you bring in somebody that's one of these old school baseball minds of uh, don't look like you're having fun on the field. Go about it like it's business. This is totally aside from the DUI, uh, which apparently the White Sox knew about. Uh, so we'll see what happens now. The DUI of its, itself wasn't enough for them to not hire him. We'll see what happens. If they do anything now, it's purely PR after some things came out today uh, about Larusa shouting, I'm a Hall of Famer, and flashing his ring at the police officer that pulled him over. Um, we'll see what happens there, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think anything substantial is going to happen. I think he's still going to be the manager there. It's just in a, in a team that had such a bright future and is on the very cusp of really challenging in the Central Division, there were very few things you could do to hurt that team. And you found the one way to hurt them the most. By the way, uh, just kind of off topic here. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but Doc, have you noticed that Tony Larusa looks like he could be Pete Rose's brother? <laughs> he does a little bit. They both, they both look terrible. They look like the exact same. Like they look like that dude that's been drunk far too long in his life, uh, and, and just they look like that kind of grouchy, old school type of guy. And for the life of me, I can't understand why why the ownership of the White Sox could be so tone deaf as to be like, hey, let's dig up this dinosaur after having this manager get our young team to looking like it is now. We've got Eloy Jimenez, we've got Luis Robert, we've got Tim Anderson, we've got Michael Kopech. Let's go ahead and let's bring in a dinosaur who's going to either run our guys into the ground or who hasn't coached in so long that he doesn't know anything about modern baseball. When you have a team that's built analytically, let's bring in somebody who doesn't know anything about analytics. I, I don't know why they chose to go that route, but it's just further proof that saying, well, because you're not in baseball, you don't know what they know, is not a true statement. There are plenty of people in baseball who are absolutely stupid and shouldn't be in there. Uh, and, and the White Sox are further proof of that right now. But we've talked enough about other teams. Let's get to talking about the Braves a little bit. Um, we're going to go into the NL East first because Steve Cohen did get confirmed for the New York Mets. Uh, Doc, I think you and I are on the same page of we're about to see some spending here in the NL East. Uh, I think for Mets fans, this is the greatest thing that could have happened. They've wanted the Wilpons gone forever. Uh, the Wilpons are finally gone, and Cohen wasted zero time in completely obliterating the entire staff. You are all gone. Blanket, all of you, get out of here. Uh, even Omar Minaya, who'd spent so much time uh, with them. I think Sandy Alderson might be the only person that's left over from the previous regime. Uh, but but no doubts what Cohen is looking to do. Yeah, and <clears throat> they are, even even without adding a whole lot, because I, I think... I think that they're going to, but they are going to serve as the biggest threat to the Braves in 2021 and beyond. Um, I will say this, though. the What the Braves have done, it mirrors what the Dodgers have done, and that is, you know, you they were gradually upping payroll year over year. As soon as they started to get good again, it's like, all right, we can spend, we're going to, and we have this elite pipeline. That being said, the Dodgers have been working on their elite pipeline for a very long time, and they have established it, and they also have a whole lot more money than the Braves have. 
enough to throw that monster deal at Mookie Betts. But they just won their first title in 30-something years, so it's no guarantee. And Cohen's even said in his initial presser, if we don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, look, man, that's all well and good, and you're saying all the right stuff. But at the same time, you have a lot of work to do. The Mets really were not good this year. They have some good players, but organizationally, they're a mess. And you're right. He got rid of Brody Van Wagenen. He got rid of Omar Minaya. He got rid of all types of people that have been making decisions. And most importantly, the Wilpons are gone. But it's not going to undo the fact that they have a pretty substandard farm system right now, partially based on the fact that Brody Van Wagenen traded Justin Dunn, Jared Kelnick, Simeon Woods Richardson, and Anthony Kay just recently. You know, and they, they've had some prospect graduations as well, so their farm system is not to where they can enter the elite pipeline level there. So when you're looking long-term at this division, the teams that are set up best right now are the Braves and the Marlins because of the work that they have done with the prospect pipeline. The Mets are going to have a lot of money, and that makes up for a lot. And you can band-aid a team. Like, if they go out and they sign Trevor Bauer and trade for Francisco Lindor, the money part is not going to matter to them because Steve Cohen wasn't the one who incurred all those losses, not to mention he has so much money. He's got three commas in his overall value, and that's a lot. Yeah, by far the richest owner in baseball. Oh, by far. And even in a year where it was an even playing field, he still would be able to outspend everybody. But when you start seeing, and national writers have been gushing over all of the things, and if I was a Mets fan right now, I would be jacked. I would be so happy because it finally looks like there is some level of competence that is returning to the organization. But I I think even for as much noise as they might be able to make, I still think the Braves, at least as it stands right now, have the advantage because the Mets still have to make the moves. If I'm Trevor Bauer, do I want to go pitch for the Mets? If I'm JT Romuto, do I want to go and play in New York for a team that's not the Yankees? You know, there, there's a lot to consider there. So this is good for New York, which is inherently kind of bad for the Braves, but may not be as bad as we think. That JT Romuto point, what you said about does he want to play for a team in New York that's not the Yankees? I think that right there is Cohen's goal. And the Yankees are in an era where they're not really looking to spend. As a matter of fact, most people think that they're going to trade Giancarlo Stanton or try as hard as they can to trade him to shed some money. The, the Mets and Cohen have a unique opportunity to be the New York team that spends. And for Cohen, you're right. Their farm system is not great right now. They've got some pieces. Like I think I'm, I'm huge on Matthew Allen. I think Matthew Allen's going to be an absolute stud. Thomas Tepucky's not bad at all. Uh, Mark Vientos has, has some some promise and some potential. Ronnie Mauricio is one of the best shortstop prospects in baseball. Remember that name, because if, the, if they're going to get a deal done for Lindor, I would imagine Ronnie Mauricio or Andres Jimenez, who is outstanding in his own right, one of those two would be the one to go, probably Ronnie Mauricio. The bigger issue with them is not that they're devoid of talent. They have talent on the team. Just they don't fit well as a unit. They're a good point uh, of why like Brody Van Wagenen did acquire talent, and he did put talent on the team. But he put a horrible, horrible fit together. And that's a bigger portion of this. It's one of those things that why well, you can't just go and add good player after good player. You have to add players that fit what you need on the team. When you look at the Mets right now, they have three DHs on the team. Between Really, they've got four. Between Pete Alonso, who should be a DH. Between Robinson Cano, should be a DH. Dom Smith, should be a DH. And J.D. Davis, should be a DH. They're having to put three of these guys in the field. As a matter of fact, at some points last year, they had all four of them in the field together. Uh, 
it's a good point of, of why a GM can't just look to acquire overall talent, but you have to acquire talent that fits. That's one of the things that spurred Atlanta on the last few years is that while not while they didn't have elite talent everywhere through most of the rebuild, now they're starting to get pretty elite talent at a number of different places, the talent that they do have fits so well together that it can cover up any weaknesses. The strengths from one can kind of overlap the weaknesses of another and kind of strengthen the unit as a whole. It's one of the things that makes the Dodgers so incredible is that they have elite talent everywhere and it fits perfectly. That's ideally what you're looking for is to build a team like the Dodgers. Or you take a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, which does not have elite talent, but everybody they do fits so well in their role that it overcomes the fact that they're not an elite, talented team. Plus, they have an elite coach. When you're talking about the Mets, as, as far as what they're going to do for the future, this free agency class, I do think they're going to go big. And I think they're, I do think that they're going to get Trevor Bauer because Bauer's a mercenary. He's going to go... Signed for whoever's going to give him the biggest deal. Cohen is for sure going to give him the biggest deal. I do think they signed JT Real Muto because they're, if, if JT Real Muto is serious about getting $200 million on a contract, the only team that's going to conceivably come close to that is going to be the Mets. And he can go and, and play for a team in New York that's going to spin big and try to, to put the Mets to prominence, blah, blah, blah. He can work with Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. They've got a lot of pieces there. Um, he, he can sit in the lineup, and he's not going to have to be the main focus of the lineup. They've got a ton of pieces in that lineup already between Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo, who's going to be better in 2021 than he was in 2020. Dom Smith, who's starting to hit. J.D. Davis, who's shown that he can hit. They've got some pieces. I think they'll probably get George Springer, too, as he's from that area. I think that the Mets, if Cohen is really going to spin like I expect he's going to, they could walk away with three or four of the top free agents, maybe even all four of the top four free agents on the market, and really not make a dent in his personal money. If that's the case, if it's for multi-year contracts, then I would start to worry a little bit. One-year deals, you do have that weird concept of how's everybody going to mesh together that first year because we can't really measure it, but how a clubhouse functions together does play a role in how they handle the ups and downs of a, of a full season. Um, if I'm a Braves fan, I'm not scared. Uh, I do have an eye on them, though. I won't say I won't even say that I'm worried because the Braves have kind of proven right now that they're a class above everybody else in the East and really everybody in the NL aside from the Dodgers. Um, but they are somebody that I'd keep a wary eye on. No, I will. I will certainly agree with you there. And you're talking about if anybody's going to give JT Romuto a 200 million dollar contract, it's the Mets. That's mistake number one. You know, I hope they do. I hope they give him $200 million, and I hope they give it to him for seven years, or however long it takes, because that is a bad move. JT Romuto is a great player now. He, because he's been an everyday catcher, he's not one of these guys like Flowers, who who is part of a legit platoon, like with, with Suzuki, or like was intended to happen before Darno caught fire, you know? Somebody like Real Muto is going to catch 130 games a year, at least, which is hell on the knees, and that dude is 31 years old, or, or he's going to play next year as 31. So to give a catcher the type of money that he wants is going to be very foolish. Very, very foolish. Catchers do not particularly age well. Yeah, he can move over to first, or he could play some DH some to maybe kind of offset things, but look, they had Wilson Ramos the past couple years, and they obviously are over it. They... They have gotten rid of him already. They want to prioritize somebody who's got good defense, so you want to keep him behind the plate as long as you can. And if you retain Dom Smith and or Pete Alonso, second or first base is a last refuge for players. That's the last place that you put them before DH. And if the Mets are going to keep this whole thing together and as it is currently constructed, they are just going to wind up shooting themselves in the foot. The Springer thing is interesting because they haven't had a real center fielder since... Lagaris? Well, they've got Jake Marisnik, but for 
but Marisnik can't hit, and neither could Lagara. So it's been a while since they've had a true center fielder, probably probably since Carlos Beltran, if you want to be honest. Um, and I'm not even certain Beltran was a center fielder at the time that he was with the with the Mets. Uh, they, they've struggled with that position for a long time. The difference with JT Real Muto and what I think, because a lot of people, are, and rightly so, would compare a big JT Real Muto deal to the Buster Posey deal or even the Joe Maurer deal. The difference between the three, though, is that JT is extremely athletic. Like when you're talking about if he moves away from catcher, he's going to go to first. I don't think so. I think he would move to left field. I think he's certainly athletic enough to play left field. The question remains now whether he could actually, you know, make the reads and, and catch the ball the way he's supposed to. But I don't think they would view him as somebody that has to go to first. He's not a he's not a, a, a guy with no athleticism behind the plate or no knees at all anymore. Now, if he catches for another four or five years, that's probably going to be true. But he is a different type of catcher. And it's one of the things that made him such a valuable guy before he had the big power surge his final couple years in Miami. One of the big things that set him apart from other catchers was you had a catcher that was stealing like 15, 16 bases a year, and that just doesn't happen. Um, if you remember, I'm trying to remember, do you remember when the Dodgers were playing Austin Hedges at second base? That he was catching and playing second. As the only other time I'd ever seen that happen was uh, Craig Biggio. That's the type of athleticism you're kind of talking about with JT. I'd agree, $200 million is too much, but I do think the Mets have the ability to pay more than anybody else wants to pay. And that, I think, is going to be the big difference. And you're right, giving big deals like that for big money, generally it, generally it doesn't work out. But that's because generally enough of these owners don't have the type of money to just blow on guys like that and eat the bad money as it, as it ages. Cohen is a totally different animal where that money is a drop in the bucket to him. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to just shell out $200 million contracts left and right, but I do think they'll get JT. I do think they'll get Trevor Bauer. And I do think they'll get George Springer, who if he really wants to play center field, that's probably the best place for him to go. Now, maybe the Mets get scared away a little bit because of the QO, but when you're talking about new ownership and a new GM, I'm not certain that's going to matter. The only hope is that he hires, and this is so weird to say, but the only hope to keep the Mets, in my mind, from signing and trading for essentially every top player available is if he gets a forward-thinking GM that doesn't want to give up a second-round pick for a team that really doesn't have much in the farm system, especially in the way of, of like elite farm system talent. That might be the one thing that keeps Springer away from New York. I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and Ramuto got one too. I mean, they, they might look to kind of reshuffle their major league roster. You know, you could... If there's no DH, then you could trade Dom Smith. Or you could trade Jeff McNeil if you think it's going to upgrade you in a large way somewhere else. Like, I could see McNeil being as part of a Lindor deal, which... See, now, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, because I have an idea in mind for that Lindor deal. I think, if I were whoever's going to be the GM of the Mets, I think Dom Smith would be far more likely to go in that deal, along with, an like... Uh, it's one year of Lindor, but if you're in the Mets and you know Lindor wants to play in New York, now he wants to play for the Yankees, but if New York, if the Mets can show that they're a good team, it's not like New York is New York. I mean, Brooklyn is Brooklyn. is Brooklyn. Um, Queens is not Brooklyn, but hey, it, it's still New York. Um, they would be in a position where they could re-sign him and they could give him a monster deal. Um, I think that Dom Smith would be a key piece to go, as well as if if you went with the Dom Smith route, you'd probably see... Uh, a Ronnie Mauricio go, or an Andres Jimenez, or an Ahmed Rosario. Now, Andres Jimenez, I think, is their starting shortstop next year unless they get Lindor, which I think they're probably the front runners to get him. 
Um, I don't think that they'd end up dealing. I don't think they would end up dealing. Uh, I don't think really, I don't think they're going to end up dealing a lot of the talent that we think they're going to deal. At least I would imagine he's going to delegate most of the, uh, most of the baseball ops to a GM and he's going to try to find the smartest guy that money can buy. It's an interesting, it's an interesting off season for the Mets. It's the most I can say for the Mets in a long time is they, I will be watching them aside with just my, my rational hatred for the Mets as a Braves fan, as a baseball guy, I'll be watching to see with a very close eye because Lord knows Jacob deGrom has suffered there for years, but it's not like they don't have pieces to be a super elite team. They're just not the right pieces at the right position. So I'll be very interested to see what happens there. Me too, but I got to tell you, I'm sick of talking about the Mets. Yeah. Let's talk about the Braves. Let's talk about the Braves. <laughs> Let's get that, that gross New York taste out of our mouth. Um, well, here, while we're in a, in a position to where we can transition, just wanted to remind everybody that we are brought to you by Bet Online. Sports are always going on in some fashion, whether it's baseball, football, foosball, pinball, badminton, or tonsil hockey. There's always something to wager on. Go to Bet Online, get paid for whatever game you're playing, use the promo code ARMCHAIR for a fun startup bonus. We are also brought to you by Manscaped. Scaling back is the new excess. Everybody's doing it. Baseball owners are trimming payroll, unless you're Steve Cohen. Christmas is rapidly approaching, and you'll soon be in a position to trim the tree if you use a real one and if you find yourself with something of your own to trim you can go to manscaped.com and get ahead of the trimming game you don't have to worry about excessive hair in any of your nether regions if you use manscapes lawnmower 3.0 or the shears 2.0 attachment your package will reek of holiday cheer if you employ the use of the crop preserver or the crop reviver excuse me all this and more at manscaped.com and when you use that site use the promo code armchair for 20 percent off and free shipping tell them the platinum sombrero sent you because we did like we said, okay, we're in a position to transition. We are in a, uh, it's a, it is going to be an interesting offseason for the Mets, but also for the Braves as well, partially because we kind of don't really know whether or not the Braves will be in any position to even bring back one of the major cogs of their offense, uh, that being designated hitter Marcel Ozuna. And until we have a little more clarity on whether or not the DH is going to be around next year. We're just kind of twiddling our thumbs, waiting to hear something about whether or not we should bring him back. But I tell you what, this past year, the Braves signed him without knowing that there was going to be a DH and he he was going to play left field. And that was with Acuna playing center. Now, Acuna, you can shade him over. He can make up for some of Ozuna's mistakes. But Christian Pache in center, I honestly... I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with Ozuna in left for a full year, but I'd feel better having Ozuna and Pache next to each other, so maybe he picks up a little bit of the slack. With Ronald in right, which means you don't have to shade towards right field as much. Bingo. It's interesting, and you're right. The Braves did sign Ozuna with the full realization that they were going to play him in the field. Now, his defense was certainly worse than they expected. Um and, and to be frank, it, it was much worse than either you or I expected as well. It, it was not good at all. His reads yeah, on balls bad. were horrendous. Um, but he does bring so much value offensively that if you have Pache and Ronald Acuna in the other two spots in the outfield, you can hide him there. Um, Adam Duvall, for as good of a fielder as he is, it did look to me anyway that his defense has started his decline. I did not think he looked particularly great in the field last year, especially compared to what we've seen from him in 2019 and 2018. Uh, I thought he he took a substantial step back as he's getting older too. Uh, it is interesting though when you look at what Mark Bowman 
um, the most known beat writer for the Braves, projected for the 2021 opening day lineup. Uh, not many changes for the Braves. He had them adding Freddie Galvis, which normally I'd be like, why? But if you don't make a considered upgrade, that's a that's a pretty decent option as far as a backup shortstop and a bench piece. That's a good guy to replace a Danny Echevarria with, I'll tell you that much. Um, and then adding in John Lester, who I do not want. Uh, there's talk of, oh, you can just give Lester the same deal that you gave Cole Hamels. Well, one of the big reasons that I'm against that, one, I don't like John Lester. Um, two, John Lester is ancient and is clearly not John Lester anymore. Uh, three, I'm kind of tired of the Braves going after bottom of the rotation vets. Like, if you're going to add a pitcher to this to this roster, I'd rather you add somebody that's substantially better than the bottom three of a rotation and could actually be as good or better as the top two in your rotation. I don't really want them to go that safe route of adding an older vet again. I understand the process behind it, but Lester's not really the guy. Like, what's Lester going to teach Max Freed? Or what's Lester going to teach any of your young guys? I mean, it's not like it's not like there's a, a good... Like, when, you, when we talked about Cole Hamels, one of the reasons we liked the Cole Hamels signing so much was that him and Max Freed were so similar in their approach and that Cole Hamels could help Max Freed because a lot of their pitches showed similar tendencies. A lot of the ways that they attacked hitters, the way that Hamels attacked hitters in his prime is very similar to how Max attacks hitters now. Lester is not that same guy. There is only one, for me, there is only one reason to bring John Lester here. Look, he he does have a long, lustrous career. He won a couple different World Series. But if you look at the way that he's trending in terms of velocity and exit velocity against him, basically anything you can find on StatCast is not looking good for him. And the only reason I could see them bringing in particularly John Lester is to work with Sean Newcomb. Because I think, because that was the comp you always heard. Sean Newcomb is, he is John Lester. He's not even like him. He just is him. He's the same guy, you know, except for like results and stuff. So you bring in Lester to maybe work on the mindset thing. And it's a similar idea of, you know, even when Hamels was hurt, he was able to work with Max Freed. I, I, I don't know how true that was. Maybe it worked. Max did take a step forward. Maybe it was because of Cole and Hamels. Maybe it wasn't. Max said that Max himself verified it. So I, I would say that it's okay. a pretty big deal. Okay, then that's a pretty big deal. And maybe maybe you bring in Lester, and if Newcomb is in the bullpen, you know, may, maybe he can still just work on mindset tweaks or whatever it is. And I know that, that you were saying that you were – uh, against bottom of the rotation guys, you want somebody that's going to be at the top of the rotation. You don't want like an older retread. But what if I told you that there was a guy out there that actually could be both? If I told you that there was a 37 year old pitcher who would probably be within the top two or three of your rotation, would you want him? I mean, Charlie Morton? Yeah, I'll take Charlie Morton right now. Charlie now, Morton. I do think he goes back to Tampa. I think Tampa will give him a one year, $10 million deal. Um, they didn't want to give him $15 million, especially because he wasn't great during the season this year. Obviously, coming back from injury, but he was his normal Charlie Morton self in the postseason. Uh, I, I would, Charlie Morton is on, if I have three pitchers that I really, really want. The first one we'll talk about when you and I, in our next little segment here. So I'm not going to reveal him. Everybody who follows me on Twitter, you know who I want. Um, Number two would be Charlie Morton because I don't think Charlie Morton is done. Charlie's a guy that has always had outstanding stuff. He still has his velocity. It might be down a tick or two from his heyday in in Houston, but he's still running 94, 95. Uh, He still has the outstanding off-speed pitches. And that goes back to his first stint with the Braves when Brian McCann famously said that Charlie Morton had the best stuff he's ever caught. 
Uh, and that was as his time with the Braves. Not even his time in Houston, which I'm guessing Brian would say that his time in Houston, the stuff was even better. Um, the third guy, this one is a little out there, and it comes with a whole lot of injury caveat. But I, I would not mind. Like, I would go James Paxton before I would go John Lester. Paxton, you mm. know, has tons of upside of being, when he's on the field, is an outstanding pitcher. Now, there's a ton of inherent in, uh, injury risk with him. He's hurt a lot, and he has been hurt a lot throughout his time with the Yankees. But you're going to have to do some convincing to convince me that there's more than one or two better arms on the market right now than James Paxton. Now, and I thought about that as well. I mean, the injury stuff is scary. I mean, it dates all the way back to the time when he was still with the Mariners. But uh, if you're going high risk, high reward, I mean, that's a really good guy there. I mean, I've got Morton as my is my number one. And, you know, you hear some stuff about Adam Wainwright. Uh, okay. No, okay. I will okay. say I'd can... take Wainwright over Lester because I'll, I'll take paying Wainwright yeah. $8 million over paying Lester 15 Oh, God. Every every day of the week. Um, I don't know how you're going to feel about mine, but I kind of like the idea of a Jose Quintana because... <laughs> okay, well, now we know how you feel. So, I mean, if you're looking at Max Freed and you're looking at Ian Anderson and you're looking at Mike Soroka... And we, ha- we have no guarantee that Freed will return it to doing what he did this year, or Ian Anderson, or that Mike Soroka is going to be ready for opening day, or even if he is ready for opening day, or a month after, that he's going to be like 2018 Soroka. There's a ton of question marks, and we're not even sure who else is going to is gonna fill in the, the four and five spots there. Maybe it's Bryce Wilson, maybe it's Waskar Anoa. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. But somebody like... Somebody like a Morton does insulate you in in the instance that all three of those guys work backwards. Morton wasn't when he got traded. It was from McClough, Nate McClough, that he got traded for a yeah. long time ago. Yep. He was he was very promising, but he wasn't having the same results. Like this version of Charlie Morton is not the same Charlie Morton from a long time ago. Great stuff, not as good of results. Okay, so when you start looking at some of the guys that might have been struggling with. Um, I was a huge prospect, and now I might be busting your Sean Newcombs, your Tuki Toussaints. Even even somebody like Bryce Wilson, who isn't a busted prospect, but in, is, had a very wonky path. Was also a higher-rated prospect. Morton was not a super highly-rated guy. Right, so, I mean, and maybe we're, we're putting too much emphasis on the mental skills coach thing. It's like, Oh, this guy, he, you know, he almost lost his whole career cause he sucked, but then he recovered and like, it's just that easy to do. You know what I mean? So maybe we're putting too much into that, but somebody like Morton, it gives you your top of rotation guy. And so even in worst case scenario, you're still kind of covered and it you know, gives Max you Freed. Vet. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fully with you on Charlie Morton. I would, if, but if, yeah, with Quintana, because now this is this is a shift in mindset because now it's thinking well if Max Fried pitches like he did last year and Ian Anderson pitches like he did last year and Mike Soroka returns and he's even kind of serviceable and he's your number three then legitimately why you don't have to throw that money at somebody who's going to front your rotation and coming out of 2020 we still don't know what the payroll is going to be we know that it was supposed to be record numbers last year but we also know that. Things are looking bleak so far. So Max Freed is going to be making, how much is he going to make in arbitration? Maybe $5 because it's ARB1. Ian Anderson is going to be making less than a million. He's going to be making league minimum. Soroka, he's going into arbitration as well, but he's had one full season 
and two pretty substantial know, injuries. So I would say five million on him would be. I think he and, and Max will be making pretty similar, pretty pretty similar amounts. So between the three of them, they're making eleven million dollars, right? Now Morton would be making about that by himself. Quintana was injured this year, so I don't know exactly what he would make either. But at the same time, there's no. If you are already looking at financial constraints, there's not necessarily any reason to have to throw $30 million at somebody or acquire somebody who's got that massive contract. But once again, it comes down to how much can you trust the track record of one guy with two major injuries, one guy who didn't show up until August of last year, and then Max Fried, who seems to be coming into his own, but we can't guarantee that he's going to recreate it. So somebody like Quintana, he could be either. He could be either one. I mean... Quintana would make sense as far as as what Atlanta would be looking to do if they're not going to spend a lot of money. Um, but if, if you and I are constructing the Braves for 2021, it's not our money, so we can construct however we like. Um, there really is one guy that I want more than anybody else, and I love Charlie Morton. I would love to have Charlie Morton. I don't think he escapes Tampa. I know he likes being down there. He has family down there. Um and, and it's you know been kind of his place, and he loves that team and Kevin Cash and all that stuff. Uh, I personally, I still think the way to go is trade. And to me, it's I, Theo Epstein said that the Cubs are going to, I don't know if he said rebuild or retool, but he knows the Cubs have to do something, that they're no longer the class of the Central, uh, that they're no longer even a, a prohibitive favorite in the Central anymore. We know that they're going, they're, they've got a lot of money that they're going to have to spend if they hope to keep most of the core together because they've got Javi Baez, they've got Kyle Schwarber, Wilson Contreras, uh, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo. They've got a lot of players that are coming up for for getting paid, and they don't have that much money right now since they still have some pretty big contracts on the books. So if Theo is, is serious about shedding money, Darvish is the guy. I mean, that's that's the guy that I think fits every single role that you and I have talked about about what we want to see from the Braves pitching staff. Darvish fits all of it. He's arguably the only guy you could conceivably add this offseason who would slot in as your number one. That yes, he is still better. He is better than Max Fried at this point, and that's hard for me to say because you know how much I love Max Fried. But Darvish is absolutely electric. He flies under the radar a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he got a little bit more publicity this year, but people he had that really really bad start last season, and it kind of hampered him a little bit, but you and I talked about it at the end of last season how much we wanted you, Darvish. He's a huge strikeout guy, throws a lot of innings, doesn't really get hurt all that often. He had a, a couple strings of injury uh, with L.A. and I think uh, his first or second season with Chicago. Um, but he, he, he's pitched very well for pretty much all of his career. There's been like a, a year and a half where he hasn't pitched up to normal you Darvish standards, but he throws a ton of pitches. throws a And he's, he's a supreme pitching mind. So if you're talking about helping out other pitchers around him, it'd be hard to, to be what you Darvish can bring to the table. Now, he makes a lot of money, so if the Braves are going to be concerned about chopping down payroll and not spending, that's going to put a hamper in that. But if you're just talking about what do I want to see for, for a pitcher, you Darvish is the guy. It's funny, last year we spent all offseason coveting Chris Bryant uh, from the Cubs, and it, it's looking like it's going to be a very similar thing, but with uh, with you, Darvish, for this year. It is worth noting, we always talk about how Anthopoulos loves his guys, right? Well, he was in the Dodgers front office in 2017 when they acquired Darvish from the Rangers. So, 
technically there's outside shot that that's his guy. He's he's been part of a team that traded for him before. And yeah, I mean I will I will certainly agree with you. He's he's had a very rocky path, but when Darvish is on, he's better than anybody the Braves have. So once again, it comes down to the money. It comes <laughs> down real, to the money. I was about to say, the real question with the Darvish is what would you have to give up to acquire him? And that kind of leads us into our next setup here. And so I know uh, I almost took your ideal here, but if you're if you're constructing your free agency teams, uh, maybe you want to save this until after we do our our answers here, because some of these questions will tie into that. So uh, we're running a little bit short on time, so I kind of want to speed this up a little bit. Just looking at uh, some questions that we asked from from listeners here. Uh, first one is from Big Shot Man or Cam, our buddy from Chatting Average. Uh, his question is: As of right now. Who do we believe gets more starts this season, Waskari Noah or Bryce Wilson? And this is a really good question, especially for you and I, who kind of charter the Waskari Noah fan club. Um, I know what I'm thinking, but I'll, I'll let you go first on this one. I think Bryce Wilson gets more starts than Waskar and Noah, but I think that is because Inoa is going to be a very large piece of the bullpen next year. I think they've really figured out kind of what they want to do with him, and I think that he's um, much more amenable to the role. I mean, part of the reason why he got so many starts this year, or why he logged so much time, uh, was because it was just the pitching staff was in complete disarray. Um, and and I think, you know, he functions best over a three, or two, anywhere between two and four inning sample Um and what we saw out of him in the playoffs, he obviously has it in him to go 100 pitches if need be, but that was his, um, if I'm not mistaken, that was his last performance So, uh, of the uh, of that series. So I think Wilson gets it partially because of Game 4, uh, what he did against the Dodgers. I think that he earned himself at least a month of of trying to prove it. And once, I mean, because he's still only going to be 23, 24 uh, when the season rolls around. I have to imagine that you're probably thinking a similar way, right? I'm actually thinking the exact same way. I think Bryce will get more starts because, honestly, I think Bryce is going to win a rotation spot uh, on opening day. Not opening day, but I think he's going to be in the the opening day rotation. Uh, I think he's going to be either your four or five. I actually think he'll beat out Kyle Wright. Um, Now, there is a lot of recency bias that you have to kind of try to hold in the back of your mind if you're talking about Bryce, but We've talked about Bryce a lot in the past. We've talked about how coming up into double-A, he was this super high strikeout, go right at people and don't walk guys type of pitcher. He was the best pitcher in the Braves system, and he moved up faster than anybody else from his draft class, which was an elite draft class, by the way, um, featuring Ian Anderson and Joey Wentz uh, and Kyle Muller. And Bryce beat all of them as a high schooler, by the way, not a college guy. Bryce came out of high school and beat all of these guys. Um I think he's a I think he's a better fit than Kyle Wright. Now Kyle Kyle I think has a ton of talent. I, I still think that Kyle has a lot of work to do on the mental aspect of the game. I think that's gonna be kind of his his big Achilles heel to overcome. Uh, and I, I just kind of trust Bryce a little bit more. I still am not entirely certain that Kyle Wright moving to the first base side of the rubber is something that will work long term because it does really limit the effectiveness of his slider, which as we've seen is such an important pitch for him. But for Bryce, He's got all the pitches, and if he's if he's dedicated to throwing that sinker like he was in his late starts, that pitch paired with a high fastball with a high four seam to change eye levels, but still change eye levels at speed is 
a is a devastating combination. His slider has seemed at points to be one of the best in the system. It's also seemed to be pretty flat at other times, but uh, if he's able to get a little bit more of a handle on it in his second season using it, I think Bryce is certainly going to be a fixture in the rotation. Waskar, I think Waskar has more arm talent than anybody else remaining uh, of, of all the guys that we're going to talk about besides like Ian Anderson. I think Waskar has the best arm talent in the system. Uh, I think Waskar has a bright future, and I think he does have a future as a starter. I'm not saying that he's going to be in the bullpen because I don't think he's a starter. I think he's going to be in the bullpen, one, because he's kind of more similar. He's more used to the role. He's done it a lot more. Uh, he's also done it at the big league level more in the bullpen than Bryce Wilson. Two, the Braves know he can come in if any of the other young guys struggle, and he can give you three, four innings. But he's also only had one game in his career where he's thrown more than 75 pitches, and that was that game in the postseason. Uh, he's also a guy where if he's not on, then he, he, he's a little bit more unpredictable. He's a lot more hit or miss than uh, a lot of the other young guys are. And again, I, I said this while he was pitching last season. I didn't really think he was ready. He was thrust into a role because the Braves needed him to, not because he was particularly ready. We saw in a lot of his final outings where the results finally started matching up uh, with, with the talent. Uh, but even going into his AAA numbers, the results really weren't matching up with the talent that he would show. So I think I think Waskar is going to be a big piece of the bullpen. Uh, I'm not going to say that he's going to be the back end guy. That's going to be Will Smith. Uh, I th- I think they'll probably bring back Shane Green. Uh, I think AJ Minter is for sure going to be a big piece in the back end of the bullpen. But I think Waskar can take over the Luke Jackson role, and I think that's going to be what he does. Funny that you mentioned Shane Green. That dovetails nicely into the next question from Anthony Williams at that Braves. Anthony, who has been listening to us for three years, forever. God, for ever since, ever since the days where we were going back over your uh, emo playlist. <laughs> Anthony asks, which bullpen free agent arm do you think the Braves prioritize re-signing first, and why that guy over the others? So, do you think it's just Green, or do you think that they try and bring back uh, Melanson and O'Day? I think it's Green first. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a ton of money. He's kind of been a little bit of a forgotten guy as far as the the bullpen free agent, so I think he fits nicely as far as the Braves being able to get a deal. He's not a guy that's like a high strikeout. He's not a super impact arm. He's not a high-velocity type of guy, so he's, he's generally the type of guy that would get underpaid anyway. That'll fit nicely with what the Braves are looking to do. He still slots into this bullpen very well as probably the best righty in the bullpen. Um, I do think they'll bring back Darren O'Day. I don't think they'll bring back Mark Melanson. Uh, unless Melanson is willing to take like a $1 million or $2 million deal, I think Melanson is... Uh, I think Shane Green at the end of last year was a better piece than Melanson anyway. Uh, I didn't like that Melanson was being used as the closer uh, as, as he just gives up too much contact in that situation. But it's not that Melanson didn't pitch well. He pitched very well. I just don't think the Braves are going to bring him back near, near at that money. And I do think that somebody else would probably pay more for Melanson than the Braves would at this point. Uh, so if I had to rank them, I would go green, number one. I think that's the priority. O'Day, I think if you can get him cheap, and he showed that he's still very effective. Uh, and then if I had to say Melanson, would probably be number three on that list. Well, I'm glad we were aligned on the first one because we are in exact opposite order. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I think I've got Melanson as uh, being the, the number one most likely to come back. Um partially because I do think, I mean, what, he was making $19 million. I mean, he signed that contract. Braves paid him 15 and a half. Yeah, I mean, he signed that deal when, like, shortly after the, uh, it was relative to the Chapman deal. I said, wasn't it right after he got traded to the Giants? I, I think it was, 
you know, I, I need to check my timeline on that because I because I don't don't want to unnecessarily speculate, but I can say that it was at a time where relievers' values were at an all time high, and that's not really the case anymore. And especially this off season, when you look at the amount of relievers that have been cut loose already, you know, Brad Hand among them. But I mean, they're the going. That's my that's my priority bullpen target is Brad Hand. Oh yeah, I mean, love to get Brad Hand, but at the at the rate that he's going to be going yeah, at right now, it's not going to happen. If Cleveland happen. wouldn't give him $10 million, then somebody, the, the Blue Jays, somebody who's who's about to start making a real push, they're going to want to throw some money at him. Who knows? Just, imagine, the the three, just imagine your back three lefties are A.J. Minter, uh, Will Smith, and then Brad Hand. Elite. Just absolutely <laughs> elite. But at the same time, I think Melanson knows he's not going to get anything even kind of resembling that deal that he got because he was at 4-62. and 62. Four years and sixty-two million, I think. And there I go, needlessly speculating again. What I could just look it up if I had some type of machine to do so. But I think that he seems like personality-wise, you know, that's such a big thing in the Braves clubhouse. And Shane Green, he's kind of blah. He seems flat. very. He seems very off-putting. It's not. It's like Kevin Gossman, where I just. Yeah, he's got that face. He's kind of got that face, and with O'Day, I I think. Yeah, for me, it's Melanson, O'Day, and then Green. Not to say that I, I wouldn't love to see all three of those guys back, but Melanson and O'Day are getting older, for sure. Yeah. So that that could figure into the length of the deal. Like, if, if Green wants three years at, I don't know, $18 million, that's uh, reasonable. Yeah, reasonable, but that's probably a pass from me. Probably a pass, but he's the most likely to get multiple years because he's going to be... He's about to turn 32. So he could go out there and get better money. And I don't know. There's some, there's something about the Melanson thing that just screams reunion to me. But as you alluded to, we are we are short on time, so we do have to keep things moving. Next question is from at 1651 Smith Drive. That's RB, also a longtime listener. Assuming the DH is a thing in 21, why not Tommy LaStella? At DH with Jock Peterson or Michael Brantley in left field. That's assuming no major splashes this winter. Okay, so this kind of dovetails into one of the things that I expect to happen this offseason. So I, I've i been outspoken as a huge proponent of, of paying for George Springer. Like, honestly, I'd pay for George Springer before bringing Ozuna back because I think Springer is more versatile in that he allows you to have a outstanding defender as a left fielder. He's not a great center fielder, but he'd be a, a top-notch left fielder with a bat that would go right in Ozuna's spot. And he's probably a little bit – he's a better overall player. I don't know that he's quite the offensive powerhouse, but he's, he's close and he's a much better defender. It's where it doesn't bother you about the DH as much. It's not going to happen, though. Uh, I, I don't think the I cannot see the Braves being willing to spend on on what it's going to take to bring in Springer. Uh, even, I really don't think they'd want to give up the draft pick. Alex has been pretty pretty staunch. He hasn't hasn't paid for a lot of QO guys. Actually, I think Will Smith is the only QO guy he's been willing to give up a uh, draft pick for. Um, and that was at a a much larger position of need. And the fact that the Braves just had zero bullpen, and Alex had to do whatever he could to make that bullpen good going into last season. Um, I do think I think Jock is is a guy that's going to be in Atlanta because I do think Adam Duvall, I think Adam Duvall and Jock Peterson are pretty much the perfect pairing. They're just the the side of the of the bat of each other. Like Jock is the left handed version of Duvall, who is the right handed version of Jock Peterson. One of those guys DHs while the other one plays in the field, essentially. Um, 
I, I think that Jock is a pretty good bet to be here no matter what because I don't think he's going to command a lot of money. Um, you might have to outbid the Angels, but I don't think that they're going to go. I think they're going to be more focused on pitching for a change. Um, I think I don't think Listella is going to be coming back here to Atlanta. I think Listella is a guy that's not going to want to DH. He's going to want to be. Uh, I, th- I actually think Oakland is the perfect type of place for Tommy Listella. I think he's a guy that can play a number of positions. Doesn't play any of them really well defensively, but his bat. He's finally turned what was a great contact bat into some power now that he added launch angle into his swing uh, or, or just added some lift and went for more fly balls rather than line drives. He's a guy that's always been able to hit. Like I like Tom Lustell a lot. I just don't see the fit here. I don't know where you plug him in the lineup. I don't know where you plug him in in the field because he's not going to take Ozzy spot at second, which is really the only defensive position that he's he can play at an everyday level. And he's not the, he's not the DH that I think Atlanta is looking for as the guy that you can plug in behind Freddie. I do like the idea of somebody of that Listella ilk. And when when Mark Bowman did his OD predictions, he said Freddie Galvis. And Listella is more talented than Galvis, but I kind of look of look at them in a similar bucket in terms of being a little bit more of a true utility guy than like a Johan Camargo or a Charlie Culberson, which the Braves have been trying to force for the last little bit. I mean the Camargo thing just never really took off and Culberson functions much better as a backup. Uh, than he does as being a a guy that you can just kind of rotate around the the diamond. So um, I think the fit is theoretically there. And, I mean, Jock Peterson coming to Atlanta just makes all of the sense in the world to me. And I think that out of all of these different moves, Jock makes the most sense because you could put him behind Freddie. Um, Part of the reason why Freddie has done so well the past few years is because he's had somebody to hit behind him, but it's also because he's had a righty behind him too. Um, Donaldson in 19 and Ozuna last year. And Peterson is a lefty, and you, you're very right about uh, Peterson and Duvall being somewhat interchangeable uh, just on different sides of the plate. I think if you're going to... Because you know, Listella, Brantley, and Jock, who are all in the question here, are all left-handed, he's going to be the closest thing you have to a true cleanup hitter. Or... Not even a cleanup hitter, because Ozuna was hitting third for most of last year. Just somebody to put behind Freddie Freeman, regardless of, of where Freddie hits in the lineup. Um, that is the one thing that kind of gives me pause about any addition this offseason, is that, that that's the biggest thing. It's not filling a specific hole in the field, it's filling that lineup spot to go behind Freddie. And also be a right-handed masher, because if you're, if you're not careful, you can become too right-hand heavy. So, I do like the idea of Jock. It, but that is assuming there's a DH, because he's not going to break the bank. And I'm going to roll that into our next question, too. This is from John McKay. That's at Blind Donkey Pod. Uh, if they don't sign Ozuna for DH, who do they get and why? That's assuming that the uh, that the DH is in play. So This is a really difficult question, because there aren't a lot of great fits. If there is no DH, you can wipe out Nelson Cruz from that as well because they're, they're not going to bring in Nelson Cruz to play in the field if they're not going to play Ozuna. I can promise you that. Um, I'd, I'd probably, again, go with... You'd be looking at Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall, or you'd have to make a trade for somebody. Uh, like I said with Darvish, if I were trading for Darvish, which I want to do, I'd target Ian Happ. But Happ's not a guy that you're going to back clean up either. Uh, either way, I think Freddie, if, if Ozuna's not back, Freddie will be moved back to, to hitting third. And I think the Braves would have to just kind of hope against hope that you could get uh, get some some progress from Austin Riley. 
uh, and Adam Duvall because that would be the only two guys that would profile to hit right behind Freddie and be right-handed. There's not anybody in the system right now who's ready to be that type of power bat. Um, that's kind of why Marcelo Zuna and George Springer are like the, the, really the only two free agent targets that I can countenance as huge targets because now Morton as well, but I, I really, I'm 99.9% sure Morton's back in Tampa next year. Um, Ozuna and Springer are the only two that fill that need of hitting right behind Freddie. That that's point blank. That's the only thing I can come up with. Um, if, if they don't go that route, it's going to be some combination of Jock Peterson and Adam Duvall and just having the lineup take a step back. That That's the only thing I can see. And if you balance the rest of the team, like if you make, if you get a Morton or you get a Darvish or you get somebody else and you've got <clears throat> your acquisition with Freed, Anderson, Soroka, you don't necessarily have to have the same world-class offense if you're world-class balance across the board, right? Part of the reason why the team works so well is because the offense and bullpen picked up the crappy pitching rotation. Let me say this, though. But y- Let me just say Justin Turner. If I could, if I had my druthers, I'd have Justin Turner. I know not a good look with the whole running on the field to celebrate thing. Uh, I'm just talking about what, what it would take for the Braves to win. I'd prefer Justin Turner over Austin Riley anyway. Justin Turner would fit the lineup very well. You could bat him third and bat Freddie fourth, or bat Justin second and Freddie third, or or Freddie second and Justin third, however you want to do it. That, that and to if there's me is, no DH, you could move Riley to left field. Exactly. That That's that's the only other one. Now, I don't know what he'd command. He's a little bit older. Uh, the defense isn't quite as good as it's been in years past, but he's still an outstanding hitter. Um, I, and I don't I don't really know what he would command. But again, I, I think he ends up back with the Dodgers, personally. I don't think they're going to let him walk. But I kind of do, too. I was I just, just thinking that he's he's got such an allegiance there. There's just there's not a lot of good fits lineup-wise outside of Ozuna and Springer. That that That's what makes it so paramount to bring Ozuna back if you can, or you have if you're going to replace him, you have to replace him with a guy like Springer, or you have to do one of these off-the-wall trades for a guy that nobody's really expecting. Well, Anthony Castrovens, who writes for MLB, he floated the idea of the Braves acquiring Chris Bryant. So for us, you know, like I said, we talked last year, all off season about it. you gotta gotta go out and get Chris Bryant. So this could be this could be the year, even if he's uh, coming off of a a career worse year from injuries and ineffectiveness. Be the cheapest, and that once again, be what's the, that? Be the cheapest time to acquire him for sure. Yeah, that's true. He'll cost you money, but he won't cost you nearly as many prospects. But our buddy Sam Dawkins asks, which prospects are in the "we'll trade him, but it will hurt" category for 2021. So I actually think this is the perfect question for us. Like this is kind of what we do here on this show is we try to remain very objective as far as like prospects that we love, but also prospects that the Braves would be willing to, to trade. And, and we, I feel we do a great job of, of being honest and upfront about trades take two teams to say yes, that you can't just give you know, Ender and Camargo and expect to get Nolan Arenado in return. Like You have to give to get. So this is, this is probably my favorite question that we've been asked. So thank you for that, Sam. Um, Personally, there's not many prospects that I think are off the table. Now, the first name I'm going to say, Doc, you already know who I'm going to say. Everybody out there, I'm sure you guys know what I'm going to say, and it's going to hurt the most. Drew Waters. Uh, Personally, I think Drew is not going to be a a member of the Braves long term. Not that I wouldn't like to have Drew, because I love Drew. I'm a full believer in Drew. I think he's going to be an outstanding player. I'm just not sold that he's a fit in a corner. I think he's best suited as a center fielder, and he's not going to play center field over Christian Pache. It's not going to happen. If you talk about, you could say that Drew has has a, a, a higher upside offensively. I think that it's arguable how high that upside is over Pache. 
because you do have to count. It's one of the things that you were big on talking about last year was about Drew's insane BABIP and his insane strikeout rate and how it makes projecting him a real hassle because there's a very large variance between his ceiling and his floor. And he's a good defender. As a matter of fact, I'd probably say he's a better defender than, than Acuna. I think straight up between the two, I think Drew could probably win the center field job over uh, Ronald Acuna. But he's not winning it over Pache. And I, I just don't see Drew as a left fielder. He does not have the home run power currently. He's got power, but he doesn't have the swing. And if he adjusts his swing, which is why his BABIP is so high, he's going to have some real issues offensively. He's going to have to totally change his style offensively. And I'm just not certain he can do that and remain as valuable of a player as he is. So I think Drew is the most likely prospect to part with. It's going to hurt a ton. But I think Drew is the most likely to go. I think Kyle Wright is another one. I think the Braves could try to cash in on his non-horrific World Series. NLCS start, like how, how good he was doing at the end of the year. I think Kyle Wright's a, a, a name to watch there. I think Kyle Muller is another one. Uh, and I think one of the catchers, whether it's Langoliers or Contreras, I think one of those two is, is another prospect that the Braves would be willing to par with that would hurt a lot of fans. No, I, th- I think, uh, first off, I think you hit the nail on the head about Waters. And By the way, I should mention, uh, on the Waters thing, the only reason I think that the Braves would be willing to move him would be if you get a Darvish-level return. And because the Braves are extremely high on Michael Harris. And if you're telling me Michael Harris is going to play left field at the moment, the way that they bat, Drew's a little bit ahead of Michael, for sure. And he should be. Drew's had a little bit more time in the system. Michael had his first real season last year, uh, as much of 2020, didn't get much in 2020. So there's a lot for, for him to come on. And he was, he was even more raw than Drew coming in. But what you see from Michael and what you see from Drew is really, really similar. So while you can say Drew probably has more upside than what you've noticed from Harris right now, Harris has a ton of untapped potential, and I think that they're close enough that you could deal Drew and not hurt you too much in the long term. Waters has extreme boomer bust capabilities, like as much as any prospect that's in the system. He could become a superstar, or he could just totally flame out. Flame out. Yeah. And I I think I am less sold on Drew Waters than anybody that pays attention to Braves prospects. I like him, but I don't love him. Like, I've loved Christian Pache since day one. Drew Waters, I like him a lot. But that's it. You know, there's to me, there's so many red flags about his profile. But you discuss him a lot. And everything you say, I think you're absolutely right. But I think that if I'm looking at this, I mean, yeah, there's still a whole lot of pitching that... You know, you've got Tucker Davidson. He made a start. It wasn't pretty, but it was just one start at the end of the year. You got Jaseel De La Cruz. You've got Freddie Tarnock. You've got you've got a bunch of guys that are there, but they've been really reluctant to trade pitching prospects for some reason. Um, for me, I'm looking at Shea Langoliers and William Contreras because I don't think either of those is going to fit like a platoon. Like you don't draft Shea Langoliers with a ninth right. pick to have him be a platoon or a backup. You know what I mean? And you didn't you didn't draft him at nine to spur on William Contreras. Right. You drafted him at nine because you weren't sold on William Contreras. Right. So use the Cubs as an example. Okay. They have William's brother Wilson. Wilson is going to be heading to free agency relatively soon, okay? Let's say that this Darvish deal that we were talking about, let's just or the or a Brian deal, whatever. Somebody on the Cubs is gonna come to the Braves, and it's gonna possibly cost you 
somebody like a William Contreras. Whether he's the headliner or not, that depends on who is coming to Atlanta. But you can also see it from the scenario of if the Cubs know that Wilson Contreras is going to walk, then they're going to want somebody who's right around double A, high A, who will be just about ready to step in in a year or two when Contreras bolts for free agency. And both of those guys fit that. So for me, you know, Langoliers is ranked seven on pipeline. Contreras, excuse me, Langoliers is four. Contreras is seven. Those are really good prospects. Langoliers is a top hundred guy. I mean, you could, I could see that happening. And I think that they would be more willing to part with position player prospects than they would with pitchers, even though they haven't really been that anxious to part with any of them. No, and I will say I would prefer to keep Contreras to Langoliers, but Langoliers is Alex's guy. And I have a feeling that Alex liked Langoliers enough to where he was fine to sign off on him at nine. I think that Alex probably would prefer to keep Shea. Just saying. No, now, that's I fair. would rather that's see fair. I would I would rather keep William. I love what I saw from William. I think he's gonna be a better offensive catcher. And I think William's arm is just as good as Shea's. Now, Shea is a better defensive catcher now, but William is very athletic in his own right, has a really good and accurate arm too. I think I think either one of those guys, I think both of them, they have more value than it's going to be perceived uh, across the, the MLB landscape. Catchers that don't have to be platoon catchers, they have a lot more value than people put on them, especially catchers who are outstanding defensive catchers like Langoliers. While he's not a guy that, that would rate on, let's say, MLB The Show, he wouldn't give you the same rating on that as, as like uh, a top-notch pitcher would. But when you're talking about the, the value of a catcher in today's day and age, everybody's platooning their catchers. But the teams that are really, really strong don't really have one of those guys that has to be a platoon catcher. The Rays were the only team that really had one that they had to really platoon. The Dodgers have Will Smith, who they're in love with. They also have Kiebert Ruiz and uh, Diego Cartaya, who are, are in their own right considered to be like starter, starter type catchers. Uh, you talk about the Braves. Obviously, they had Travis Darno, who was not a platoon at the end of the year. It was just Travis because he was the better catcher. Um, you look around at kind of the landscape of, of things, and, and I see baseball trying to get back to having uh, a really good, like a, a, a good defensive catcher who doesn't hurt you too bad offensively as well. And I think either one of those two fits that mold. So I, I think that they're one of those two is not going to stay in Atlanta because you're not going to platoon those two. It's more valuable to trade one of those guys to bring in a part to fix you somewhere else or improve somewhere else than it would be to split reps between those two evenly. Plus, they're both right-handed, so it's not like you can do a strict platoon. Right, right, exactly. So, okay, in the interest of time, uh, we are actually going to, and we've talked about George Springer a lot, so to our buddy Nate McCullough, we apologize. We are going to skip your question for this week, but shoot us a DM, let us know what your birthday is, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll send you something. We'll send you something. Uh, next question comes from Seth Sozaby, that's Dadish Gambino, and this is a twofer. Uh, number one, is Riley it at third base? This is a really difficult question. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this one a little bit more in the next episode because we don't have a ton of time to, to get in on this. So I'm actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call an audible here and I'm going to talk about this one. And I'm also going to combine our next question, which is from Aaron Cohen, about who's more likely to win rookie of the year between Ian, Ian Anderson and Christian Pache. The answer is going to be Ian Anderson. Uh, I think Pache's offense still has a little ways to go in order to be like a super stud offense. We saw what Ian can do. If Ian replicates next season what he did this season, he's winning rookie of the year. That's an easy question for me. I would assume you would agree. Yes. Um, as to Austin Riley, I don't know that he's it. Is he it for the Braves in 2021? 
That answer, I think, ultimately, ultimately, I think yes. Um, I don't think that they're. I don't think the Braves are going to pay a lot for one season of Chris Bryant, especially coming off the year that he's coming off of. Um, it's a possibility. I mean, Alex, Alex likes one-year deals, but not. We haven't really seen him trade control for one-year guys. And if you're talking about getting Chris Bryant. The Cubs aren't going to want to lose out on Chris Bryant, who's been kind of one of the faces of their team for the last few years. They're not going to just give him to you for nobody. And there will be other teams that will come after Chris Bryant. So you will get into a little bit of a bidding war there. I don't think the Braves are going to play that route. If they really want Bryant, they can throw money at him when he's a free agent next offseason when conceivably we can see if they have more money coming off the books. I don't think they would. I think they would just roll with Austin, who... At least last year was better than than Bryant. The year before they were kind of. I mean, Bryant was, in my opinion, better anyway. But right now they're probably pretty comparable. Uh, and I don't think the Braves want Riley in left field long term. He can handle himself out there, but he's he's not he's not a great defender out there. We we've seen that in the postseason when he had to play a little bit of left field. His routes really aren't spectacular. I think he's much better suited to third. And I think if you're talking about having two guys that are struggling. Uh, making consistent contact and both have big time power, you take the one that you don't pay that much. And I, I don't think, I don't think the Braves would move off of Riley for one season of Chris Bryant. So I think Riley is it in 2021. Is he the future at third base for the Braves? A lot of that is going to have to do with who Austin Riley is. Is he the 2019 version of Austin Riley, or is he the 2020 version? And there was a, a marked difference in his approach at the plate. We talked about this in the pre-show that Austin did a much better job about hitting the slider. That was his big bugaboo pitch uh, last year. 2018 it was the fastball. 2019 it was the slider. So as as of this point in this career, we've seen Austin adjust, but it's been small adjustments. It's like it seems like when he adjusts to one pitch, he adjusts by making himself worse against another pitch rather than being able to recognize both. Last year he did a good job against both pitches. But it came at the expense of a lot of his power, and it looked more like he was just poking and trying to make contact, which that looks good on your stat sheet, or it looks good for your average. It doesn't, it doesn't express the value that the Braves need from Austin Riley, which Austin Riley needs to be a power threat for the Braves. That's why he's there. He's a good defender at third. At this point, it's actually really weird to consider that Riley is more of a defensive player than he's an offensive player. Uh, he's one of those guys that you and I were looking at his defensive numbers on uh, StatCast and, and Fangraphs. Those numbers don't match up to his eye test, and I, I do think it's because he, he was very inaccurate with his arm in 2020. That just comes from playing exclusively left field before and moving back to third base. It's a different arm angle. It's a different attack. It's a whole lot of differences there. The arm is something that can easily be fixed. The hands, though, the hands are something totally different. He has very soft hands. He has very quick reactions. Austin is a very good defensive third baseman. I, I'm fully confident that the 2021 numbers would bear that out over the course of a season defensively. Um, I'm not certain that he's the future third base, but I think he's the 2021 third baseman. No, I think I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, he he didn't do anything to lose his job necessarily, and if he you, also didn't do anything to cement his hold on it. Right for 2021, you feel pretty confident running him out there. He's not going to break the payroll. You know, he's still going to be late, making league minimum. But one thing that Anthopoulos said a lot last year was, "I'm not interested in any individual position upgrades. I just want to make the team better." You know, so when you when you start looking around, if they if they bring back Ozuna or they do go get a George Springer or they trade for Chris Bryant, you have a little bit of wiggle room with Riley because of the fact that he could play third or he can play left. So 
if he was bad against sliders in 2019 and bad against fastballs in 2020, then we know he's going to suck against changeups in 2021. But hopefully that means that he has made some corrections against the fastball. So the good news, by the way, is not that many people have great changeups. But the other, and I know we got to get out of here, but I do want one more point on Austin Riley. So I'm sorry for cutting you off. You okay. brought this up to me uh, in the pre-show that when you're looking at Austin and you're looking at at his offense, there was a huge, huge effort in cutting down the strikeouts. He went from like 35% down to 23. I don't know that that's a sustainable course over over a full season. But the weird thing was his strikeout rate cut by that big of a percentage, but his walk rate only went up by about 2%. That's going to be the big thing. When you look at Austin Riley's career numbers, his OBP is under 290. That is unsustainable. If Austin Riley is going to be the future at third base and he's going to be a power guy, if he's going to be the Troy Gloss type that everybody likes to comp him to, which I'm going to take credit for because I'm pretty sure I was one of the first ones to do that. Uh, probably me and Andy. Uh, sorry, Jeff Francoeur. I said it first. Um, he's got to be able to take walks consistently. If you can't get on base, then the power is not going to play. Like I can deal with a Joey Gallo type. I don't like watching Joey Gallo play, but I can deal with that if I'm, if I'm building a team. If I have the payoff of the power and I have the payoff of He's getting on base. That's one of the things with the Dan Ugla. Dan Ugla was hitting, what, 220, 230, but he was walking a ton. His OBPs were always pretty good. I'm not saying Austin has to carry a 360 OBP, but it's got to be at least 330, 330, 340. He's got to up his walk rate. Agreed. And through 131 career games, he's got an OBP of 288. That won't do. But he's he's evolving. Prospects are prospects are never done. You know, you, you look at Acuna, and he's still figuring out a couple things and he's been in the league for three years now so weird to think that austin and acuna have been in the league the same amount of time though well no acuna acuna came up a year before just very different prospects now acuna is a superstar top five in baseball type of talent and austin is just not that it's just a good mark of how prospects it's a good point to show prospects don't develop at the same rate yeah, prospect development is certainly not linear, but and in three years we could be sitting here having the same conversation with Christian Pache. In, in the interest of getting out here under the hour and twenty minute mark, I legit don't <laughs> remember the last time we recorded an episode this long. So sorry about the Mets talk and putting the mailbag at the end. But if anybody is hearing this, if you made it to the end of this episode, pat yourself on the back. Thank you. You very better much. have made it. This is the first time we've had an episode in like two weeks. That's so. right. Well. <laughs> We won't be back next week. We'll probably be back the week before and a week after, unless something big happens for the Braves. But like Doc said, thank you to all of you that made it to the end of the episode. Uh, Thanks for those of you that ask questions for the mailbag. Always love the interactions. And thanks for sticking with us through three full seasons. I can't wait to to cover this again next year. And uh, hopefully now that we've won a a playoff series and won a couple series, now we can get uh, focused on winning a World Series. Hopefully 2021 is that season. So, Doc, thanks for joining me as always. All you guys out there, you guys have a great night. Have a great week. Maybe a great two weeks. We'll see you when we see you right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Those are numbers. 
But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.